First John chapter four, uh, verses seven to twenty-one. Uh, John's going to return back. Uh, to talking about the importance of Christians loving each other. Uh, he covered this in chapter 3, uh, verses 10 to 24, uh, and we'll talk about why is this uh, 90-something-year-old pastor circling back to talk about what he already talked about. Sometimes old people forget what they said, right? <laughs> like your grandpa, how many times have I heard that story? But you, you know, so is, he, is, is that what's going on? I don't think so, but... We need to ask a question, and I think it's an important question for our, our world, especially for our church, churches at large. Uh, what does the world need to see in the church of Christ? I mean, the mystical body of Christ. Uh, what do they need to see um, in a word? And Jesus prayed about it in his high priestly prayer. It's love. That's what they need to see. Uh, in his high priestly prayer in John 17 in the upper room prior to his crucifixion, uh, he prayed that future believers would be unified, uh, unified uh, tight that they wouldn't be chaotic, they wouldn't be fighting among, amongst themselves. Uh, because uh, without, without unity in a local church, uh, they'd be easy pickings for the devil to get his old hoof in, divide relationships, divide people, cause problems. And, and why would anybody want to come to the church when they have all those kinds of problems uh, and chaos going on at their office? Then they need to come to church and see that there's hope. And so Jesus prayed for unity uh, big time, but he also knew that unity could not happen uh, if the, the saints did not love each other. Uh, and so in John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, if you will remember from what we said back in 1 John chapter 3, uh, Jesus uh, commanded us, in, in, as he spoke to the disciples, uh, that we would love each other. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. He commanded that we love each other. Uh, and so you should constantly, each day, be thinking to myself, what am I doing to contribute to the unity of my, my church, of my local body? And it all starts in your home life, too. Because if your home life is totally chaotic, uh, that's probably not going to transfer over into your church life. So start at home first. Build unity there. If you're the man, the priest of your family, make it happen there. Uh, if you're a single mom, whatever your situation is, may the love of Christ bring unity there. Because it, it, it's, it's important to Christ that he prayed. He, it's amazing. He prayed for us before he's crucified. A lot of things he could have prayed about, but he, he prayed that we would love each other and that we'd be, we'd be unified as the Trinity's unified. Well, I'd say the Trinity's pretty unified, wouldn't you? And so we have a, a tall order before us. So what John is going to do uh, is he's going to circle back, as I said, and he's going to talk about brotherly love again. So don't check out on me right now going, I've heard this before. Um, the importance is how much have you, not just have you heard it, how much have you woven it into your life? It's one thing to hear the word of God. It's another thing to actually live the word of God. Um, Dr. Howard Hendricks, when I took a Bible study methods from him at Dallas Seminary back in 1981, um, they, he taught you know, on the weekends and on Monday in class, he would share with us things he heard and learned as he went around the United States teaching and preaching. And he had a guy walk up, because he did a series on the book of Ephesians, and a, an old guy walked up to him and said, you know, prof, that was awesome. I've been through Ephesians all many times. I know the book well. And, uh, and you did a good job. Um, and, uh, and I've been through it. I've been through the, all those chapters. And Dr. Hendricks said, I looked at that man and I said, that's fantastic that you've been through the book of Ephesians. My question is, how many times has the book been through you? <laughs> Convicting. So I'll just leave you with that. It's one thing to say brotherly love. It's another thing to go out and do it. So this is all taken within the context of uh, 1 John 2, 28 through 4, 19, which answers the basic uh, hermeneutical question, what does bold belief look like in trying times? And we live in trying times. But we've been living in trying times since the Garden of Eden, have we not? 
And so uh, what, what are we supposed to be doing? Well, uh, I would say before we dive into verses uh, 7 to 21, uh, you should be thinking about two questions as you look at brotherly love. Uh, question one, uh, am I creating unity in this body by what I say and what I do? Am I creating unity in this body? Question two, am I creating disunity in this body by what I say and I do? Those two things should be on your mind. Don't be looking at me. I've already had to look at myself. I don't need like 30 emails. Oh, yeah, and you, you need to look at yourself and ask those two questions. What were the questions? Am I creating unity? This is the spiritual side? <laughs> what does this side say is the second question. Am I creating disunity? Am I? Because if you are, then repentance is in order. So let's look at the things that he says here. He's going to tell us here in verses 7 to 21 that bold faith loves in a radical fashion. Radical. Because to have agape love, that's divine love. What's that like? Well, read uh, 1 Corinthians 13. How many times have I used 1 Corinthians 13 in a wedding? You know, love never, you know, fails. It's, you know, it's, it's God's version of love. It never fails, always ready to sacrifice, isn't afraid to call sin, sin. Uh, it's loyal to the core. I mean, it's divine love. And so we're going to talk about a radical love, divine love that God gives us as saints. Uh, it comes with, a, with some things to think about. And he's going to give us four things to think about as you look at radical love. So we're going to click down through these quickly. Number one, uh, radical love follows the mandate. The mandate, not the suggestion. Verses uh, 4 to 7, or 7 to 8, we'll get them to in, in just a minute. But I want to circle back to what I said a few minutes ago is, why is he repeating himself? Well, don't you as a parent? You have children? Don't you repeat yourself? And your children will probably tell you, I've heard this before, Mom. Yeah, but you're repeating yourself for what purpose? Because you realize they didn't get it the first time around. And you need to come back around to, like, wake them up. Uh, and make sure they understand. So, uh, so I think uh, we're, we can be spiritually hard-headed, right? Yeah, we can. Uh, and, and so the Lord's going to circle back around. The Spirit's going to say, hey, you might have been here for the sermon on First John 3, 10 to 24, but you didn't apply it. And so we're going to circle back around. We're going to talk about it again. Uh, number two, why is he doing this again? We tend to love selectively. We can tell people to the face, hallelujah, I just love you in Jesus. <laughs> But, you know, remember, remember uh, Mad Magazine? You know, I kept a bunch of my old issues from the 60s because I loved to draw cartoons and stuff back then. I loved to draw the cartoons from the Mad Magazine. Um, so I had a little portfolio book I drew in, and I had a lot of fun. But I always loved, you know, the, the one about the shadow. And like of the shadow. You remember that part of the cartoon? You said you had the magazine. You know, where, where the shadow was, you know, there'd be one guy petting a little dog, you know. And with a lady at a bus stop, and the next thing he's swinging the dog, his shadow's swinging the dog on a leash, you know, because he's anti-dog. Um, but it's just, you know, if, if the shadow could speak, you might be telling somebody that you love him, but if the shadow could speak, well, you know, I really don't like them a whole lot. They remind me of someone from my last church. They even look like them, and I just, I just don't like them because of that. Really? Not viable. Or maybe they've done something to you that you don't like them. And so uh, we love selectively. What are we supposed to do with, a, a, with divine love? I mean, imagine if Jesus loved selectively, how many would get into heaven? Anyway, uh, number three, uh, we all have issues to deal with when it comes to love. <laughs> Boy, do we. Uh, I'll just uh, permit, submit two of them to you before we get to verse seven. Uh, we have issues when it comes to love because we, a, a we all struggle with how to love well because we have baggage from our past and how we were raised because we watched our parents. 
And we watched how their messed up relationship, unless you had really great parents, which I did, but, if you, but a lot of people didn't have a great godly family that they came from. So a lot of people came from a messed up family. So if you had a family uh, that, where you received little affection as a child and were always just put off, uh, the parents are maybe professional people, not around very much, uh, didn't show a lot of affection to you, so you just learned that you could not express yourself. And you've never learned to express yourself. And now you're married and your lovely uh, husband or wife is wondering, why don't you talk very much? Uh, well, it's because uh, I was raised where I, I didn't get to talk to very many people about my emotions. So when he says love one another, you're going, huh? Uh, you are what we would call the avoider lifestyle. You avoid sharing your affections because you never got to do it as a child. And now you're an adult. Another kind of person that has a hard time loving uh, is a person I would call the pleaser. They came from a relationship uh, where the mom and dad were at odds with each other, probably got divorced, uh, and as that whole relationship was unwinding, you're the child that had to console the mother. You had to be her emotional support, and you're like 12, and you're always pouring your life into mom and walking on eggshells, don't want to offend her, always trying to be there for her when she's sad and downcast, and they just had a fight, and etc. but you never learn to share your emotions, and then you become a Christian, and John says, uh, love one another. And you're thinking to yourself, uh, how do I do that? You see, if you drill down into it, we have baggage, don't we? And so John knows all that stuff because he's a 90-something-year-old pastor. He's wise. And so he's telling us, uh, let, let's talk about love, that, the radical love. Uh, he says it, uh, it follows the mandate. So if you have all that baggage, you have all those issues, realize that God can help you with the baggage. He can help you pick it up and deal with it. Uh, and help your marriage, and help your relationships, and help your relationships with people at church. So what does he say in the mandate? Verse 7, you've heard this before. Beloved, let us think about loving one another. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. Let us love one another. Why? Notice the four there. The, the why gives you the reason why he said that. Well, God is, uh, love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God. Why? God's love. I mean, God is the, the essence of love. So uh, if you go back uh, to chapter uh, 3, uh, where he talks about let, let us love one another, he used the imperative mood to tell you this is a command from Jesus. Here, he doesn't use an imperative. Although it does look like an imperative, this is a, a subjunctive mood. And he, why would he do that? And what in the, why are we talking grammar? Well, it's important. Why would he switch from an imperative to a subjunctive? Because subjunctive mood is the mood of uncertainty. You can give somebody a command... But when you use a subjunctive mood, and it's not an imperative, you're saying in the Greek text, well, you might not do this. And remember, John's been around the block a few times uh, because he knows that we all have, as Christians, we might be forgiven and, and holy before Christ because we have his holiness. The problem is how we walk on a daily basis. Uh, and it's called you have a will. It, uh, it's also Paul's problem in Romans 7 where he struggles against his own flesh. Things I wish I would do, I do not because of the sin that lives in me. So that type of thing. So if we are honest with ourselves, we all wrestle as Christians with the flesh. So the goal of each day is to live more in the spirit and less in the flesh. And so, beloved, let us love one another, subjunctive mood. Why? Because, well, love is what God is all about. It's, it's what God is all about. And he says that everyone who loves God is born of God and he knows God. And then he's going to throw in in that last clause, the one who does, not love, does not lo know, uh, who does not love does not know God. Notice what he didn't say in verse 8. He didn't say, the one who does not love is not born of God and does not know God. He didn't say that. Because he knows that it is possible for Christians to not like each other. 
So he's not saying that you have to love to, to show your faith. Otherwise, then you're saved by your performance. No, you're saved by your relationship to Christ by faith. He's talking about in a relationship with God, abiding with Jesus. And whether you're abiding with, have a tight fellowship with Jesus or you don't have a tight fellowship with Jesus, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about salvation. And he says, if you have a really great love relationship with Jesus, you're going to have a really great love relationship with other Christians. And you can tell how great your relationship with Jesus is. How do you relate to the people around you? But he does not say in verse 8, the one who does not love does not, is, is not born again because he's telling you, yeah, you're born again, but if you don't love, you're just acting like you don't know God. Because a person who really knows God and has a intimate walk with him will mimics God who is, what's his character? Love. Yeah, he's love. He's the essence of love. So we need to ask, because uh, if you go back to the chapter 2, verse 11, chapter 3, verse 10, chapter 3, verse 15, he actually says that you Christians should stop hating each other. Have you seen Christians hate each other? Why are you getting all quiet? Yeah, I've seen it. It's a terrible thing. I mean, it's like, wow, they hate each other. It's unbelievable. So it's possible for Christians to sin and get into such a bad situation relationally that they just really don't like each other to the point of hate. So he says, when you live like that, it's like you don't know the God whom you say you know. All right? So we need to get practical for a minute. I need to ask you some questions. Sorry. Because I have to ask myself during the week. I just get up on Sunday and I share them. So what about your life? Are you loving other Christians in this sanctuary? Are you? Are you, are you really? So lo love does not mean that you accept anything and everything that they say or do. Sometimes you have to admonish. And that's a biblical command. Sometimes you have to confront. But you need to do it in love, not in arrogance. And you need to do it with facts, not fiction. But, but are you really loving others, other saints? Is how you are treating another saint uh, reflecting uh, that you have a hatred toward them? You should see some of the emails that I get from Christians. There are, some of them are not nice. I'm just being honest. And, you know, sometimes I want to write, write back and say, do you consider that you're talking to your pastor? So when you write an email to somebody, you know, all caps is suggesting what? <laughs> I am screaming at you and you are evil. And <laughs> uh, no. So I'm just getting real, you know. Do you show love and compassion toward people? Or is how you're acting toward someone or writing them or texting them or whatever, are you really showing love toward them and how you're talking to them? Um, do you call them names behind their back? Uh, are you insulting them by the things that you are saying about them? Um, are you so upset at them you're willing to twist all kinds of information to cast them in a negative light to make you look better? I mean, these are all things... We must think about Because he said we need to love each other, but sometimes, well, that's not the way it is because we choose a sinful route. Radical love follows the mandate. What's the mandate? Love, love one another. Did you forget it already? What's the mandate? To, lo to love one another. To love one another. Number two, radical love fleshes out the model. The model. Who's the model of love? Jesus Verse 9, by this the love of God was manifest, that's the Greek word to reveal something that you didn't know before, was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world. Why? Well, so that we might live through him. You know, you don't get saved unless you come by means of Jesus. That's why the, the preposition through is so important. You don't come to, to God by any other means than through Jesus. 
It says in, in verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he, on the contrary, loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Wow, that's an that's a m- amazing verse. So think about this. How did God reveal his love to us? He sent his son. How many sons did God have? One. The Bible trivia, one on one. We can all get this one. How many sons did he have? He had one. So just think about it. If you had three sons and you needed to give up one to save sinners, giving up one son, I mean, that'd be painful, but not supreme as a sacrifice, right? Because you got two more. He only had one. And he goes to that son and he tells that son, who is the son of God, uh, these, these people that we have created have rebelled against us and sinned. And I'm going to have to challenge you to go down as the Holy One and, and eventually die in their place. It's going to take a few thousand years, but you're going to have to go down and become one of them and, and they're going to hate you and they're going to ridicule you and they're going to spit on you. They're going to eventually crucify you, uh, 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 you know, but you're going to go to the cross for them. You're going to die for them because when you die for them, your, your blood will be that which will avert my anger against them. That's propitiation. Your blood, the blood of Christ, will cover the sins of sinners and avert the wrath of God against a, a person who's, who's unholy, you and me. So how did, you, how did God show his love toward us? He had one son. And he said, son, will you go do an unbelievable mission for me? I want you to go die for our enemies. That, read Romans 5, 9. That's exactly what he was called to do. It says in Ephesians 4, 18, uh, the God of glory left glory uh, to die for you who have evil desires. Uh, Ephesians 4.3. You have evil desires. That's, what we, that's, that's our world. We're born sinners. We run to sin. That's what R- R- Romans 3 talks about. We constantly as sinners run to sin. It's our, it's our nature. Uh, and in Romans 1.18, Paul says that we are born with the knowledge of God. And he says you can even see it in the cosmos. He says, in fact, in the King James, uh, in Romans 1.18 and following, he says you can see the Trinity just by the nature of the cosmos. It's the cosmological argument behind every cause is an effect. Uh, you can look at the effect and go, wow, there must be a God because look at the complexity of the effect. There must be a cause beyond the effect. Uh, and, and so, but you suppress that, he says in Romans 1.18. You suppress the knowledge of the existence of God and worship anything else other than God. And so when you think about what Jesus did, he wasn't going to die for his friends. No, he went to die for his enemies. That was us. So what does that mean when it comes down to us loving we need to follow the model of Jesus. That he, he loved to fix a problem with total sacrifice. We, we, we can't do anything less. Uh, I was uh, looking online the other day when I was having lunch at the James Webb Space Telescope. Uh, some of the shots that it's taken is space, deep space. I mean, things they never even seen before. They used to think there was hundreds of galaxies. Then they thought there was millions of galaxies. Now they are pretty sure there's billions of galaxies beyond the Milky Way galaxy. And you have to stop and ask yourself a question while you're having your sandwich at your computer. What in the world? Why did God make it so big? I mean, no one's going to ever go there. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It tells you about the immensity of God, the power of God, the wonder of God, the creativity of God. He's showing you his amazing nature and all that he has made. But I want to focus on one galaxy that they took a picture of. This particular galaxy, uh, as they took a picture of it uh, and, and honed in on it, it was absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. But when I was reading a science article about it, it said that for the light from that galaxy to reach the lens of the, of the um, 
the, the telescope. It took, and I'm sitting there going, huh? 200 million years for the light to travel across space to reach the lens, that light. 200 million years, how fast does light travel? The good answer is pretty fast. Uh, that's the safe answer. Uh, the real answer is 186,000 miles a second. You, can your brain process that one? Mine can't. I just know that's a big number, God. Awesome. Hallelujah. You, you are amazing. But to think that God who, you, God could say, hey, I am so busy with the cosmic machine, running everything, making sure those novas and supernovas are doing all the, controlling those black holes. I'm, I'm so busy. I ain't got time for you. But what does it say? By this, the love of God would manifest it to us and that he sent his only son so that we might have life through him, that you could live through him. He loved you enough to send his son. And that's personal. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, I have to ask you a question. That great God that did that for you, uh, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you have a faith relationship with him? Uh, John 3, 36, Jesus says, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son shall not see life. We're talking eternal life. But the wrath of God abides on him. The only way to avert the wrath of a holy God from you in eternity and now is to come by means of Jesus in faith and say, Lord, save me. And his blood covers your life and you've been propitiated. The anger of God has been averted. Uh, today would be the day to make sure that's well, that's a sure thing because no man knows what happens at the end of the day. Back to my sermon. Verse 11. It says in verse 11, Beloved, if he loved us, it's a conditional clause, uh, we ought also to love one another. Because he doesn't know if we're going to do that or not. I can tell you all day long, love each other. Uh, you know, but I don't know when we leave this, this room if you're going to do that. It, you know, that's on you and that's on me. So if God loved us, that's the cause, then what's the effect? Well, we, because of his love, we should love each other. It's a cause-effect thing. His love that we just talked about should motivate us to love other people in a, in a radical way. So look at your marriage. Is it a war zone? Do you make it look like it's not a war zone when you come to church? But, but when you get in the car, it's a war zone all the way home, and it's a war zone when you get at home? It's a mess. Because maybe the avoider's style or the, the pleaser style or one of those styles has issues, and you don't know how to really love each other. Well, if you're believers, what's the command? Love each other. You need to get down before God and say, God, you need to help us learn how to do that. Love each other. If he loved us, we ought to love one another. That, that starts with your son, your, your daughter, your wife, your husband. That love should start there. Uh, Lord, help me, help me to love them. Uh, I've raised high school students before. They can get lippy. Can't they? Weren't you when you were a teenager? You know, and, and if those, those young people are believers uh, and they are lippy and questioning you and uh, what they tend to do, uh, you know, it, this is not time for you, you to use foul language against them. That's not a weapon. That's not love. No, love is putting your arm around them going, son, I think, I think we need to talk. You know, I love you and, uh, and, I, and I need to help you be a man. But you need to get those things right because uh, the church can be no stronger than the, the relationships that happen outside of here. So if Jesus has loved us and God loved us, and, and then the logical result is that we turn around and we love each other in a radical way, and that love fixes problems. That's the thing. Jesus fixed our sin problem. It says in verse 12, no one has beheld God at any time, and if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. See, people can't see God. They can't see God. You can't see God. I can see the effects of things that God has made, 
when I look at the construction of the cosmos, it's, it's un, it's, it, it, it points to him. I can see that, but I haven't seen him yet. I'm going to see him one day face to face. But right now he's in a corporeal spirit. He's a spirit not seen by human eyes. So how do people see God? Well, in addition to the cosmos that he's made and intricacies of things, uh, they see God in you. And how do they see God in you? When you do radical things with love, they see that. And they take note of that. I introduce you to my former best friend who's now with Jesus, Pat. Pat Travnicek is his name. Um, he had a, a son. His name was Justin. Justin was a U.S. Marine. Uh, he was a mechanic in Iraq. Uh, Justin joined the Marine Corps with his best friend in Stockton. Uh, and uh, years ago, before I moved here, uh, Justin and his buddy came home on a, on a furlough at Christmas. I remember when Justin got to town. Pat was quite happy. Um, they were down at Camp Pendleton. They went out to enjoy Christmas Eve. And on I-5, heading back to Pendleton, uh, south from like San Onofre area, coming down that way, uh, they had a flat tire. And they pulled over on the fast lane median to change the tire. Uh, Justin's a helicopter mechanic for the U.S. Marine Corps. I think he could handle the flat tire. He gets out of the car with his buddy to change the tire. About that time, another young man came home from an office party, totally drunk. Rear-ended him, killed both those Marines. I did Justin's funeral. That was a hard thing to do, because I knew Justin. And his dad's my best friend. A year later, I buried Pat. He got cancer next year, and he died. That was not an easy year. But I remember, because uh, I played golf with Pat every Monday, because he worked as a golf at a golf course after he retired, uh, running the, the, the cart shack. And so it was awesome. Played for free. Free golf. Nothing better. God's blessing on my life. But I remember all the times we prayed uh, as a court date came up for that young man uh, that Pat uh, talked to me about what he was going to say when he got down to San Diego to go to court against this young man to kill these two Marines. Uh, and I remember what he told me he was going to do as we drove around. And we, I counseled and we talked and we prayed. Uh, there came the day that he went down to San Diego with his wife, Karen, uh, and it was televised on ABC News in the San Diego area. Uh, Pat took the stand. And with that young man on the front row, he told him, I love you. My wife and I love you. And God forgives you. And I forgive you. That's Pat, the guy with the sunglasses. It's California. He's got to look cool. Great man of God, godly man. He told that young man, I love you, and I forgive you. The young man started crying at, at the desk. The young man came to know Christ. Pat and his wife Karen got, in, got left there, and they, they, um, they went to San Diego Airport uh, down by the bay, and they were waiting for their flight back to Sacramento. And they saw a middle-aged woman sitting there with her luggage uh, weeping. And they don't know her. They're just two Christians watching a lady weeping. And so they, they got up and they walked over to her and they sat down next to her and they said, uh, we realize you're experiencing a lot of pain. Can we help you? She said, can you help me? She said, my son was the perpetrator. I was in the courtroom. I saw what you did. You get the picture? They loved on her. Well, they loved on her until she walked into the kingdom of God that day at the airport. She became a believer. What won that lady to Christ and her son? Love. Love. Love that fixed a problem. See, that's what Jesus did. Jesus loved us to fix the problem. Sin. What did Pat do and, and Karen? They, they fixed the problem. They could have hated that, that guy. 
and his mother. And not even wanted to sit by her, but now, now they loved her. That, that's agape love. Do you have that kind of agape love? Do you? Because God at a hard time can give you that kind of agape love. And that's kind of like the next point. Radical love finds inner power. That's verses 13 to 16. Just read this and I'll just make a simple comment about verse 13. He says, by this we know that we as Christians abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. And we beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world and that whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have come to know him, he says as Christians, and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. You want to have a tight relationship with God? Then just live a loving life. And you have a tight relationship with Jesus. But I want to zero in on verse 13. Because you can look at a situation like Pat's and say, I don't know that I could ever do that. Yeah, you could. Because it won't be you doing it. It's, well, it's verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Why? Because he has given us who? The Spirit of God. That when you get to a situation like that, the, the, a situation where it's calling for radical love to fix a, a radical problem, well, where does the p- power come from to do that? The Spirit of God. Where is he? He's in you. And that's when you, like Pat, get down and say, God, I don't know what's going to happen down there, but you got to use me. you got to speak through me. I mean, Pat was a manager of a Safeway. He's not a public speaker. So he's like, God, use my voice. Speak through me. And God did. See, that's the Holy Spirit. So I don't know what your situation is. Uh, messed up marriage, messed, messed up relationships, whatever they are. Uh, the power to fix all those, which radical love does, comes by means of the Spirit of God and avail yourself of his power. Um, I'm from San Diego. I knew lots of pilots, Navy pilots. Uh, the, the Top Gun base was by our, not far from our house. Seen a lot of jets. You know when that afterburner kicks in? When they're taken off? You think, how in the world are you going to get that heavy jet off the deck of that, that ship? Well, it's got that little extra juice, and boom. That's, I was thinking about that this week. That's like the Holy Spirit. You might think, I ain't going to clear the deck. I'm going straight into the ocean. Now, God's telling you, now, I guess I'm afterburner. And it's called the Spirit of God. And he's going to give you what you need. And then last, fourth thing, radical love finds inner perks. Here are the perks. Perk one. Uh, verse 17, by this, the love is perfected with us that we might have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we are in the world. Perk number one, when you have radical love is when you stand before God on judgment day, you as Christians at the Bama seat of Christ to give account for how well did you run the Christian race, you'll have confidence there, which suggests you might not have confidence there because you didn't run well because you didn't love well. So, but if you love radically like you're supposed to, when you stand before God one-to-one, the Lord's going to look at you and say, well, you have run well because you loved people in situations as I loved. So you can have confidence. Leads to a question. On the day you stand before Christ, and we do this individually, will you have confidence? Two, perk number two. Uh, you're not going to be fearful. It says in verse 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. If you have true biblical love going on in your life, that's radical. Well, then you're not going to fear God because you know that you're doing the things that are appropriate for him. But if you're not living as you should and you hear thunder, you're thinking, oh man, he's going to take me out because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. It's that fear. Because you know God is holy and you're doing those things you shouldn't be doing. Uh, but, but when you're walking with him, you don't have fear. Because you know, Lord, I'm doing exactly 
what you called me to do. This, this is Pat, my friend, Pat Travnicek. He had no fear on Judgment Day because a year later he was in God's presence. And I'm sure he had total confidence. And I'm, I'm sure he had no fear because he loved radically. Uh, perk three, we love because, well, he first loved us. If you truly get into the love relationship with Jesus, you're going to understand that it, that love relationship didn't come from you. It came from him. Uh, we love because he first loved us. It's a, it's a Jesus thing. And you get it and you live it. And point four, if you love radically, you learn how to spot immature believers. Notice what he says. If someone says, well, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a what? He's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love the God whom he has seen, who has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have from him, uh, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. At a church in San Diego was a lady. Uh, she, she, when my dad was in charge of five states with uh, controlling stuff for the IRS and Secret Service and stuff. So he flew a lot. And so he had churches that he went to when he was on assignments. He had a church in San Diego where a lady began to attend the church, very knowledgeable biblically. She stood out. So they plugged her right in to teach in a women's class. She began to teach the women's class. She was fantastic. Everybody loved her. The place was packed every Sunday morning. And then she started dropping in things that she didn't like about the pastor. And nobody said anything to her. So she dropped in more things that she didn't like about the pastor. And nobody said anything. And so this animosity and this hatred began to grow this lady against the pastor, a great Bible teacher, by the way. And then there was the business meeting from the eternal unmentionable. When this lady got up in the middle of business meeting, when it wasn't appropriate for her to even talk, and said, after she cleared her throat, I just want to say publicly all the things that I do not like about our pastor. And no one held her accountable. And she talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. She destroyed the unity of that church. One woman, one woman. Was she a mature believer or an immature believer? Immature. Because John says, if you say you love God like she used to, but you don't love your brother, you are a what? You're a liar. Better tell the truth and love people like you're called to love them. Because love, well, that builds unity in a body. That's what we have in our church is unity. But unity is a fragile thing. And we all must do our part to safeguard it and, and care for it uh, and love each other as we're supposed to. So you have an assignment this week. Well, the rest of your life. There's a love like Jesus loved. That's radical. Let's pray. God, thank you. Just for the clarity of the scriptures, not always easy to apply them, but help us to do what we need to do to build biblical love, divine love into our lives, into our relationships, into our marriages, and to rely on the Spirit's power to do amazing things when it comes down to doing hard things like Pat had to do. Give us the power that we need to do that. And we praise you for a church that loves you, adores you, and holds unity in high regard. And uh, help us to keep that protected from the wiles of our adversary. In Christ's name, amen.